This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Megan Callahan. She is the Jill of all trades at Lazy DC Bar Ranch. Megan has lots of irons in the fire. From raw milk to riding lessons, mule breeding, donkey rescue, mom and foster parent, hay sales, a pumpkin patch, and glamping tents in the near future. Megan lives in one of the most incredible towns between Missoula and Kalispell on the Flathead Reservation. St. Ignatius has a wonderful community along with breathtaking views. An agriculture prominent area helps for a relaxing vacation spot and a good place to raise a family. Mules, donkeys, and horses are her first passion along with the education of the difference between them and their varying needs. And Megan did a wonderful job of explaining the difference to me between mules and donkeys and all of their characteristics and what makes them her passion. So I'm excited for you to get to know Megan today. You may have caught on last week's episode with Emily Rushell, our new segment that we have included on the Rural Woman podcast, the rapid fire questions. Hopefully that is something that you enjoyed. That is something that Megan and I did as well and will be a continuing thing in the future. So if you have any suggestions of rapid fire questions that you would like me to ask the incredible rural women that I get to speak to, please shoot me a message over on socials or you can send an email to hello at wildrosefarmer.com. I think this is just a fun way that we can get to know a little bit more about our guests here on the show. As I mentioned, the idea for the rapid fire segment came from a listener, Amanda C. So thank you so much for 
filling out our listener survey. And if you would do me the pleasure of filling out the listener survey yourself to provide any feedback, comments, or suggestions, this is how we continue to grow and how we continue to improve the Rural Woman podcast. So you can head to today's show notes or over at wildrosefarmer.com to fill out our listener survey. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Megan. Megan, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? Good. I am wonderful. How are you? I am doing so well. I'm so happy to chat with you and get to know you more today. And thank you so much for for coming on the show. For my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Megan, Tell us who the heck you are, where you're from, and uh, how you got your start in agriculture. Yeah, I'm Megan Callahan. I am living in St. Ignatius, Montana. It's right between Missoula and Kalispell. It is a generational farm that my husband's grandfather bought um, in the 50s. They grew potatoes for um, right up until 2001. And then they got out of the business and leased the land until my husband and I were ready to come home and and start our adventure on a farm. So I grew up in northern Minnesota, the frozen tundra of hell, north of Duluth, and I was a horse kid in 4-H. And that's not really a big a big thing up there. There's not very many of us, but I sure had dreams about moving out west. And and when I did, I met my husband and it we just hit it off and we're still here. We've been married going on seven years now, um, together for 10. And we have quite the adventure going on the family farm. So I'm happy to share with you guys. I'm so excited to dig into all of these things a little bit more. And I'm sure the people from the frozen tundra of hell can maybe attest to that for you. <laughs> yep. A lot milder out here and I'm sure happy to be out, out west. Yeah, that's amazing. So you mentioned that being you know, the horse kid in 4-H, that wasn't very popular uh, where you were. So where did your love of horses come from? Well, I I had a birthday party when I was two and it was pony rides and that that started it right there. Um, and I got my first horse at nine um, from some folks down the road that are wonderful and taught me a lot and got me my start with riding lessons and into 4-H. Their son actually lives out here in Montana now, too, so I run into him often. And, yeah, shout out to the Ferrazzi family for for helping me out and getting me started with horses. That's amazing. From a pony ride to living in the west of Montana with horses and mules and donkeys and all the things. That's so great. So in your 4-H experience, do you have any, like, favorite memories that come to mind that you want to share with us? Oh, just the community, the the friends that that you meet that we're still super close today. And, and realistically, all of us are still involved in 4-H in one way or another. And um, now we're running clubs or we're moms with kids in clubs and running the horse shows or running the horse programs. And it's just really cool to see how we've all grown up and um, turned into successful folks in agriculture. Yeah, that is so neat. So the farm that you are on currently, the ranch you're on in Montana, you said it was your husband's generational farm that grew potatoes. And I have to tell you, when I think of Montana, I don't think I think of potatoes. 
Yes, they, yeah, they grew potatoes for years. And really there's a lot of potato farming in Lake County, uh, Gallatin County, Montana. There's, there's a lot of potatoes grown in the area. Right. See, this is something that I learned today that maybe I should know. They're my neighbors of the South. I should know more about the potato growers of Montana. So (laughs) I'm sure one of them may be listening that will reach out, tell me more about potatoes in Montana. But uh, yeah. So take me back to 2001. That is when you took over the ranch, correct? It was leased out until 2016 when we came back. So do a cattle operation and they ran cows in between when they were done doing potatoes and when we took over. Right. And was it always in the plan that you would take over the family ranch? No, they uh, had called us and said that changes needed to be made. We were either going to subdivide and sell off or somebody needed to come home and come up with a plan. And I asked, my first question was, can I have horses? <laughs> and they said, yeah, yeah, we can figure that out. And uh, we're 25 head of horses later. <laughs> and I think they might think I'm a little crazy, but we're, we're making it. So that's great. Well, tell us more about your operation and your ranch's name is Lazy DC Bar Ranch. So tell us more about the ranch, what you have on there and what your operation looks like today. Yes. So my husband's grandfather bought the brand in the 1950s, uh, Lazy DC Bar. Um, his name was Dan Callahan. And he, yeah, he got the brand and we decided what what better way to name the ranch and go with it than buy the brand and, and utilize it. So that's where our name started off. And we have a menagerie of animals, but mainly we breed mules. We have two mammoth jacks currently that we use, a few head of brood mares and some milk cows. We go, we give riding lessons. We put up commercial hay um, and then we do sell family milk cows um, when we happen upon them. So yeah, we, we just have a blast breeding mules and we rescue a lot of mules also out of auctions or maybe mules that are misunderstood and need a home. So, yeah, it's so interesting. We were chatting a little bit before we hit record about mules and donkeys and, you know, not a lot of people, or at least in my circles, have a lot to do with donkeys or know a lot about them. So how did you get into breeding mules? I worked on a ranch outside of Yellowstone in Cody, Wyoming, Blackwater Creek. They're phenomenal. And they had one pack mule and that mule was my whole life. I rode him everywhere and he was as stubborn as a mule. He was great. I just fell in love with him. So that's where my love of mules really started. And after we had moved home, I happened upon another older mule and rescued her out of a situation. And I thought, you know what, this, I like horses, but I love mules. They are so brilliant, a lot less maintenance and, and, and they're just so smart. So I decided that, you know, I really want to jump on this bandwagon and what if, what if I made my own? So uh, a mule is a a jack donkey or a, a male donkey and a female horse. If you do it the other way around, it's a hinny with a stallion and a female donkey. So we just started breeding them and it's not for the faint of heart. I can tell you that. Yeah. I don't think I knew exactly what constituted a mule. So you've taught me something here today. What are some of the characteristics that you look for 
in a mule, like to bring into your operation? You only want to make a mule with the absolute best mare you can find. Confirmationally, temperament is huge. If you don't have the confirmation and you don't have the right attitude of a mare, you're going to get yourself into a really bad situation. So those are my two top things. Uh, we use a lot of grade mares that maybe were the best riding horses somebody had ever had, but they don't have the papers to back that up. And papers aren't everything, but that's why we ride mules. We don't need papers. So yeah, I have a lot of really nice grade mares that, that make phenomenal mules. We actually had a baby born last week. I learned a really hard lesson not to turn out a jack that you don't think is performing with your hardest to breed mare. <laughs> or they, they do make a baby. So yeah, we had a baby last week and he is just a doll. Sweet as can be. Okay, I have to say like baby, well, baby anything on a farm is really cute. But there's something really sweet about baby mules and baby donkeys that, you know, they're real cute. <laughs> it's the ears. <laughs> So for somebody who would be looking to add a mule to their operation, like what is a mule going to add for you? Like, is it a protection animal? Is it for riding? Like what, why would somebody need a mule or why should they have one? A mule can do everything a horse can do, but they can do it better. (laughs) I'm a firm believer in that mules are stronger than any horse. They won't get you in any wreck or a bad situation. You can use them to pack. You can drive. A lot of them do have that donkey instinct against predators as far as coyotes or wolves or bears. I have a mule that is a known bear killer. She will, if a bear is in her pasture, they better outrun her because if they don't, big trouble, which can be frowned upon when you're in a national forests or here we have a lot of uh, tribal forests around us and they don't take too well to that but I can't necessarily tell my mule to stop killing bears so yeah that's great I'm trying to think if I've ever come across you know in our area a lot of mules and I don't think there are so what do you think is kind of the deterrent for people for a mule versus a horse or even versus a donkey, like just a pure standard donkey. Mules are so incredibly smart that they will never get themselves hurt by any means. You always hear the phrase stubborn as a mule. Well, that stubbornness has, it it comes from the donkey side. The donkeys, you always see in the cartoons, they have the carrot stick in front of the donkey to try and get the donkey to entice it to move. And yeah, if a donkey doesn't want to do anything, it's it's not going to do it. And mules often pick that up. It takes a lot of trust for mules. They don't they don't just naturally trust humans. So, I've been told that it it, it takes two, your brain too. You have to be two percent smarter than the animal you're training to train it. With mules and donkeys, you have to be seven percent smarter than the animal you're training. And two percent, not a whole lot. But once you start talking about seven percent smarter. They're actually really brilliant animals. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure to be 7% smarter. <laughs> Even 2% sometimes I think on certain days would be tough, but. There's a lot of days I want to throw my sucker in the dirt and call it quits, but. Yeah. 
So Megan, you all, you mentioned that you offer riding lessons on your establishment. Tell me more about that. How did you get into teaching riding lessons? You obviously fell in love on, on the pony rides, but now, now you get to train other people on their ponies and all of the things. Yeah. So I went to Northwest College in Powell, Wyoming for a few years and went through their equine training program and took a lot of the farm and ranch business management classes. And Marvin, Ann, and Pam over there are absolutely fantastic, and I can accredit them so much for my love of teaching. They were phenomenal professors, and just to mirror that and give the kids and anybody who's riding with me that passion and that fire to to do it right and do it slow and produce incredible animals and, and be a true horseman really drives that for me and seeing the kids just excel in my area and do something that they love and something that probably keeps them out of trouble. I have a question for you and I don't think there's a right answer for it. This is just what your opinion is. What do you think are some qualities or what do you strive for when you think of being a good horseman? Patience. Patience is huge. Being able to take your emotions, whatever you're feeling and tuck them into your back pocket and not take those feelings with you into riding or training. That's something I've had to learn with myself. I, I'm a highly emotional human being, and to have to take those, set them aside, not let that affect my day has really brought me far. And I think teaching the kids that, hey, you can have a bad day, and having a bad day is okay, but you can't have a bad day while you're on this horse. So let's start fresh. So you have a lot of different revenue streams essentially on your ranch. Talk to me about, you know, from when you started, when you moved on to the ranch, what was there to what have you added over the last number of years that you're working on today? Yeah. So when we got there, it was bare bones. Fencing really needed help. And we had an old, old barn from yeah, before they even bought the place that is still standing, that was full of clutter. So we cleaned up the barn, we were fixing fence, had horses turned out, and really weren't sure what we were going to do. I knew I wanted to teach riding lessons, but we didn't really have an area for that or anything. So we saved our pennies and built a 150 by 250 outdoor arena. Luckily, the ground is so nice where we're at that we were able to just till it and drag it. And it works better than any sand I could ever pour in there. So we just started with an outdoor arena and had a few horses and started giving lessons that way. And I think these days farming on an operation can be really scary because if you go under with whatever your main operation is, how are you going to maintain and stay on your place? And that's really, that's scary. I think everybody feels that on their operation if they have anything big or about a decent amount of land. We have about 212 acres, so not super big, but enough to get by. So if the riding lessons weren't going to make it, we needed something else. So we had the land. The hay was already there. The cattle weren't on, on the hay, hay fields. So let's put up some hay. So we have we sell hay commercially, uh, small squares and custom rounds for some folks during the summer. And that was going pretty good. So then we had another side hustle. And then I found my mammoth Jack, started breeding my mules. If that wasn't enough... For everybody, we uh, decided that what are we going to do for income in the fall? And I 
we were sitting around the table one night and I was like, let's do a pumpkin patch. And my father-in-law was like, what are you talking about? Why? What? No, <laughs> we're not going to do a pumpkin patch. I'm like, yeah, we'll put a hay tower out front and we'll have warm drinks and pumpkins and oh, it'll be fun. Let's try it. So we did a little test run one year and the community just poured in. They were so excited and thought it was so much fun. And then I think he kind of became a believer like, oh, we can do a pumpkin patch. So we don't grow our own pumpkins. We found a supplier just a half a mile down the road that grows our pumpkins for us and we haul them in and spread them all over the field. It makes it a lot easier that way. And we could never grow them for the amount he sells to us. So that's wonderful. But yeah, it's a great community event. People, We're on our fifth year. We'll be going into our sixth year and people have so much fun. It's great to see the kids growing every year when they come back. That's so great. And so many good wisdom pieces here. First of all, you know, you need to find something that is going to be sustainable for your farm. And it doesn't need to be the same thing for 12 months out of the year. It can be whatever it is, whether that's riding lessons in the spring and summer. And then, like you said, moving to the pumpkin patch in the fall and how brilliant to bring in these pumpkins from somebody else local. If you have the infrastructure to have people on your farm and let's say they don't, like what a great way to work together and to bring your community together is always, you know, I always think it's a great thing to bring people together. And obviously the response has been wonderful to be able to go back year after year and, you know, continue to do this. What would you say for those who are listening, who potentially might be afraid to have that kind of conversation, like could be like with their father-in-law or their husband or their business partner or whatever, you know, to have this idea that, you know, we can do something different and here's whatever it is. Sometimes there's pushback, I would say, from these partners in business and in life. What advice do you have for those listening who might have those big ideas for their operation, but maybe too afraid uh, to bring them forward? Yeah, I got some advice from another family a long time ago. And she said, you know what? We sit down and we have a business meeting and then we sit down and we have family dinner, but we don't interchange those two. So if you sit down and have a business meeting, how would you talk to your employees or other co-owners of your business? And don't take that home with you. You can't take that home with you. So have a business meeting, lay out the plans, drop a plan and propose a business plan. Just like you were going to the bank or going somewhere else, or you're looking for investors, see if you can get them to invest in the idea. It's not that hard. So you lay out your expenses, whatever will go into it. You lay out your potential profit and your potential losses. I think losses is a huge thing that you need to be aware of and, and present it and say, hey, look at this. Look at this chance we have to make this. And yeah, we might lose this, but, but what if we don't? And to just walk into it and with everybody having optimism and trying to work together. We struggle with it daily. I can tell you that there's things that I want to do on that property that we work together with my in-laws. They own it. We manage it. But there's still things that look like a good idea to me. But in the long run, they're the owners of the property and it doesn't, it wouldn't benefit them. So just being really understanding of everybody and, and going from there. Yeah. 
and I love the way that you put this, you're investing in an idea. And when we come back to it, family farming, family ranching is a business. You just get to do it with your family. And I've always said like family farming is a blessing and a curse, you know, you can have the greatest family of all, but when it comes to business, you know, sometimes there can be hurt feelings, but like you said, the advice that you got, you have a business meeting and then you have a family dinner and those things can't interchange. The conversation needs to be different. The conversation needs to be understanding and open for your family business meeting. Maybe family dinner can, there could be a few more laughs and jabs at things, but... (laughs) Keeping these things separate is really important for the success of of our businesses and the success of our families. Because at the end of the day, I think most people, we want that family in the family business. We want that family part still at the end of the day and uh, to not pick off the boss who, you know, might also be your husband or your wife or your (laughs) mother-in-law. Right. And change is hard. Change is hard for everybody, especially when something's been done the same for for 50 years or 40 years or heck, even three years. Change change is hard. And and I need to let uh, maybe the older generations that have been running the place for years and years who are maybe now retiring. We need to let them ha- grieve a little bit over over the changes that are that are happening. Totally. Megan, I love that. That is such a wise thing to say. And I think as the younger generation coming in, it can be really easy for us to be frustrated. Like, why don't they get this? Like, this is a good idea. This is the direction of agriculture. Like, and you feel like banging your head against the wall, but we have to step back and understand that, like you said, change is so hard. And this is a huge change for them as much as it is for us. And for them to be, you know, open to the idea of change is one thing, but moving forward and seeing that change in front of their eyes, yeah, it can be really hard. And there needs to be some empathy there for that generation because they work so hard for where you already are. Right. Yeah. So good. That was a great, that was a great nugget of wisdom there, Megan. (laughs) Good thinking points. So You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman podcast, Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the rural woman podcast. What do you think have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced when it comes to introducing these new revenue streams to your property? Has there been anything that that stands out that was like, that was the hardest thing? I didn't think we were going to get through that. Oh, yeah, there's been quite a few. Definitely inviting the community onto your operation is really hard. And hearing 
criticism, constructive criticism about what you need to do differently or how you need to do it. And also working as a team on these ideas like pumpkin patch. It is, it takes all of us. We're all family. We're all volunteers and everybody has their own idea of how it should be done. And, And that's hard. It really is. I think it takes a lot of understanding, a lot of patience and a lot of thought to work with your family and, and not have it blow up at times. So taking a step back and just taking a breath and then reapproaching things with everybody has been a really big struggle. Yeah. I want to flip that question now and ask you, what are some of the things that you're most proud of that you've been able to accomplish on your operation? I love that I can go anywhere from Kalispell to Missoula and people are like, oh, hey, you're the pumpkin patch lady. Or, oh, don't you run that lazy DC bar ranch? Oh, hey, my kids had such a fun time at riding lessons. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you are. (laughs) But just being known in your community as somebody who is welcoming and and has great programs and has a place in the community, it's, it's great to be known. Well, and it's so great to be known for that, for a welcoming place for families and, you know, whether they come from the city or if they're rural, they can come and enjoy your property and the area that you live in basically looks like, you know, a postcard. So it is it is a great area to be welcome to and to feel like you're a part of a community. Yes. What is next for you, Megan, on the ranch? What are some of the things that you hope to introduce? What are some things that you hope to continue to do? Yeah, so we would like to expand our breeding program. We just bought a second mammoth jack. And so the other thing I wanted to tell people is a lot of people, when they think donkeys, they think of like, I call them the little Jesus donkeys, the little guys that are just so cute and everybody wants one. And the American mammoth donkeys or jack stock association these are like horse sized donkeys and um, they can be registered if they're over 14 to hands and so they are big guys and so we have two of those jacks and we hope to continue that the mule breeding and and really produce nice well-rounded weanlings and yearlings and riding mules into the future and then i think It might be in the plans to do a Christmas tree sales or Christmas tree lot. I was thinking about calling it the Christmas tree patch because we have the pumpkin patch. But uh, yeah, sell some Christmas trees and kind of do the pumpkin patch, but do a Christmas theme. So for some winter income and maybe produce some raw milk with our milk cows for the community now that raw milk is legal in Montana. That's so great. All of these things, Megan, I'm always just blown away by the operations that have all of these different streams, not only of revenue, but of things to do, right? So I'm sure it keeps you busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have three three kids under four also. So we, uh, we have our hands full. You sure do. That's amazing. Megan, we are going to go into our new segment now on the podcast, and we're going to do some rapid fire questions. So I know they're called rapid fire, so I don't, like, I always feel the pressure to answer them or ask them very quickly and then, like, the answers to be very quick, but feel free to do what you want. I I 
I said, like, I'm the boss. I can do what I want. So we can make them as long or short as you want. So our new rapid fire segment is brought to you by Canada's Egg Day. On February 15th, 2023, people across the country will celebrate the food that they love and the people who work hard to produce it. In addition to being a day to celebrate farmers, producers, and all participants in the agri-food industry, Canada's Agriculture Day is one of the few times that consumers can hear the industry speak with one voice. Canada's Ag Day is a day for farmers to share their pride and their love of food. So no matter how you get your social, make sure you are using the hashtag CDNAG Day, Canadian Ag Day, when you do. And for more resources, you can check out the link in today's show notes or head to agdaycanada.ca. All right. Here we go. These are the rapid fire questions that I came up for you. And actually, some of the listeners helped me come up with a list of questions. So some of these are a mix. But your first rapid fire question, what is your favorite breed of cattle? I like jerseys. I absolutely think they're so sweet. (laughs) I uh, I always laugh. I'm like, oh boy, I'm going to ask people what their favorite breed of something is, what color of tractor that they drive. And I feel like there's going to be some hate mail, but uh, I know some Jersey lovers out there who are listening. So they agree with you. <laughs> All right. If you could outsource one of the chores that you do on your operation, what chore would it be? Oh man. You can only pick one. You can't say all of them. <laughs> oh, if I had a raking hay. Okay. A boring. Is it boring? Okay. See, we don't make hay or we don't do hay, I guess. So whenever I see it, I'm like, that looks really exciting because typically you're driving fast and like, you know, you're going along, but I've been told it's not as fun as I think it is. <laughs> Fine. We could switch. I can come rake hay and then you can come. I don't know what is the slow, boring. There's a lot of slow, boring things in my job. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. My last question in the rapid fire questions What is a recent purchase that you've made for your ranch that has been life changing or something that has helped you? Oh, we got one of those rotating hay heads okay. out of Washington. And so it picks up uh, 10 square bales at a time and stacks it right nice on the semi and you can rotate it. Oh, I stacked hay too many years pregnant. <laughs> and I was I was like, nope, we're getting, we're getting the hay clamp and it's going to rotate. <laughs> That's amazing. That is so good for all of the hay people out there. They're, they're very envious of you for the ones who are still... <laughs> stacking. So (laughs) I have much appreciation for the farmers who make the hay and they stack the hay. (laughs) Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My last question for you, Megan, is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I think just being outside with the beauty and the animals and living a, a, a wonderful hardworking lifestyle. I don't think there's much of that anymore. And and to just be a part of a community of women who still do this every day is, is really something. That's amazing. 
for the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at LazyDCBar, or you can visit our website at LazyDCBar.com. And I try and keep everything up to date as much as time allows. Perfect. I will link those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you and come see your really cute mules and donkeys and all of the other amazing things that are happening on your ranch. Thank you so much again for sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim and Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.